You're going to see the interview everyone is going to be talking about. Wagon wheel, what to see? What do I think of her? Yes. I don't think of her. Then we become divas as opposed to just strong women. Oh, coughing during my interview, really? It feels uh, reductive. Hello and welcome to Big Diva Energy, the podcast for and about fabulous people being fucking extralent. I'm Holly Morgan and my husband Tom is also here. <laughs> and my loves, have we got a belter of a subject for you today? An irrefutable, solid gold, forever diamond of a diva and one of the most successful recording artists of all time. She's the first Welsh person to achieve a number one single, holds the record for the longest span of top 40 hits by a woman, is a motherfucking dame, and don't you ever forget it, and the voice of Bond. And what a voice. We are, of course, discussing none other than Dame Shirley Bassey. And with us to discuss the dame is a loyal subject of her court. Our guest is the brains behind both Pop Horror, London's horror cabaret fusion of pop music and horror movies, and Athena, the 80s, seriously every month at the Eagle and available on Mixcloud right now for your aural pleasure. He also launched It's Got to Be Bassy in 2015, a campaign to reinstate the true voice of Bond and get another iconic theme under Dame Shirley's belt. Sadly, it was not to be, but our guest did meet the woman herself and has graciously agreed to tell us all about it. Paul, Joseph, welcome to Big Diva Energy. Hi, Paul. Hello. Hi, Dolly. How are you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. Fantastic. We're so, so thrilled to have you on. Thank you so much. (laughs) I've been soundtracking my week. Yes. Oh, tones in my ears on your um, mix. uh, What's it called? Mixcloud. Yeah, Mixcloud. Oh, so new. Do you know what I love about it? The, the title is it all, the 80s seriously, because I'm a, a an obsessive about Madonna. And mm. anyone who plays Angel, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're for me. Yeah, yeah. And and with that with that radio show, I think I'm up to, I think I've done 17 now. And so far, um, they, it started off as Athena's radio hour, but then I'll just have too many songs on this place. So and now it's about each, each show is about an hour and a half. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, so far, I haven't played the same song twice. Ah. So, um, and I think my take on the eighties is just there's just so much yeah. great music. If you think it's a whole decade and so many different styles of music, that actually, yeah, you can avoid playing. And that's why we call it the eighties seriously because it's kind of like eighties has had got a bit like jokey, sort of Rubik's yeah. cube, silly, and it's like we're not. It's almost like the seriously bit is almost a joke in itself. And if you present the 80s as it is, you don't have to overdo stuff because some of it is just ridiculous and some of it's amazing and whatever. So, yeah, yeah it's great. I think I think maybe we're, we're going to start playing some other songs twice, whatever. But, yeah, it's um, but yeah, it's it's great. I'm always – Madonna, I've played on every show. It's like, yeah, you can't not, and it's an 80s show. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's really interesting, some of the facts about chart positions and stuff as well. That I've been like, oh, my God, like – I think it was when you were talking about um, about the US mix. I was like, that was only a, like a number seventeen hit or something. Like, yeah, yeah, wow. and it's really and also some of the the background some songs like um like uh, Take on Me by Aha. I yeah. think was released four times, and it like it it didn't chart. It didn't chart. It, it all you know and uh, and if you think about, it, that's probably one of the most iconic eighties yeah. recognizable eighties big hits. Take on Me, and it almost didn't happen. Because just of the timing and the, and the production, they had different producers. Then they re, they got another producer in to rework it, and then finally they did the video, and that kind of gave it a big boost. And then it became this massive hit. Oh wow! Um, 
but yeah then also yeah the other thing is like weird things like the madonna's holiday not getting to number one and stuff like that it's kind of like you just there's certain assumptions you make on on how big things are now yeah. how they were at the time and yeah it's but, so um, true it's it, an absolute travesty that isn't it, it is a travesty one of many in her career that she's been, she's been <laughs> cruelly to. knocked out, looked over by the British public. Um, did you see that she's um, she's working with Dua Lipa? Yes, mm. with a, a sort of a, um, a reworked version of the, the new song with Missy Elliott as well. Yeah. I think that's exciting. Oh. Um, Talking to our friend the other day, uh, Rich Hawkins, was saying I think it's the first Fiat Madonna in history. Yeah. First time she's ever been like featured. Feet, yeah. Ah. Mm. It's always she's been. had other she's had other people featured on her stuff. Yeah. But... Absolutely. Oh. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if that's a drop back or if that's a don't you a don't let of her crown. hear you say that for God's sake. She'll come at you. <laughs> Hands and feet. <laughs> uh, and what about with with pop horror? Obviously, you've had to not do like yeah. Things. Um, we um so the Vauxhall Tavern where we where it was our kind of home for that show. We normally do shows there every couple of months. They are open again and performing um, based on what the government is saying, even though I don't think any specific guidance has gone to venues. Yeah. Performances can start from this weekend. And we did have one booked in for next week, but the announcement just came too late to put it together. And I was also a little bit conscious that just the mood of the nation, we're still in a pandemic, people are still dying and stuff and so I didn't really want to do a horror related thing it might the tone might not be right so we always do a big show around Halloween so that'll hopefully things will be together by then Um, amazing and we've kind of the pop horror stuff and and the the sort of regular shows are normally pop sort of a mashup of a particular pop star or genre yeah normally with a pun if I can do a pun I'll do it so we've had the share witch project we've had I still know what you did Donna Summer we've had I should be so chucky (laughs) We've done two Madonnas, Papa Don't Screech and Like a Scare. Um, but when it comes to Halloween, uh, we normally do more of a, we've, we've started to do a bit more of a themed thing. So a couple of years ago, we did Scare B&B. So we did the RBT out like it was a, like a horror movie. But you know, horror movies always are like suburban America. This was like a horror movie as if it was in a crap, crap UK bed and breakfast. <laughs> and then last year we did a, a, a nautical themed horror called Frytanic. Um, so... Yeah, I think we're gonna to have to work on what we're gonna do this year. So ho- hopefully there'll be more more happening by then. Oh God, um, please! Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> absolutely hilarious. I don't know. Do you lean into it and just go straight for like a pandemic themed? <laughs> it's interesting because we've been talking about that with a few other sort of people who are creatives and different people at different venues about sort of referencing the the pandemic and stuff. And my husband and I, we um, are in the process of writing the pantomime for the Botswell Tavern this year. And we've written it for the past few years. Amazing. And, um, and I, I think the sense is that because everyone's affected by COVID, but in such a negative way and it's so big, I kind of think it's probably a bit too soon. I think everyone's just a bit like, yeah, like, um, and I think probably if I, when I was thinking of, if I had time to put the show together for next week, I was already thinking I'd probably brief performers and say, you know, maybe not because it just it's a little bit like 
Yeah. People, I think people need a bit of escapism at the moment. Yeah. I, think, I, think that, I think there's the, the, the jokes you can put in about stuff like the social distancing and the fact you've never had a Zoom meeting at work ever without someone saying, sorry, I can't hear you. Or yes. kind of the thing I want to work out of Zoom, I want to get a word, like I'm sure there's a word you can create for that moment in, a, in an online meeting, a Zoom meeting or Teams or whatever, when when everyone sort of says their, the person says their goodbye and they're yeah. leaving. says, bye, 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 bye. And then there's this kind of like, awkward sort of five seconds whilst they lean forward and <laughs> um, when they lean forward to then switch it off and everyone's just really quiet and it's a bit like it's a bit like the, the meeting equivalent of that thing where you say goodbye to someone and then find that you're out uh, that you're walking the same way yes, <laughs> and you just do that <laughs> that kind of awkward thing so yeah so I think there's a lot of stuff about you know stuff that's been happening but yeah I think the I think the sort of pandemic side of stuff itself would be um yeah, it'll be inter- it'll be interesting to yeah, see. Yeah, it's a weird balance, isn't it? Because it's yeah, like you said, it's something that's affecting everyone. So it's a sort of universal it's a shared, mm. yeah, mm. sort of um, like port of knowledge. But at the same time, yeah, if you you know you make a joke about the about the virus, I mean, someone out there, you know, there's it's very easily someone in the audience who has yeah. either suffered from it or has yeah. lost someone or yeah. It's that sort of thing I was thinking that maybe like in, you know, sort of five years time, it'd be stuff like people have fancy dress parties and they'll come as, they'll, they'll like, they'll put a like Zoom frame around yeah. their head and like a face mask <laughs> and stuff. And also that maybe we'll all be, you know, who knows, maybe we, we are moving towards this kind of apocalyptic, that there's going to be thing after thing after thing or whatever. But hopefully it is this one thing and it'll we'll get over it and then we'll be better prepared when something else comes along. But just thinking that like it'll be anyone who's moving house in a few years time will just keep finding loads of little half-empty bottles of hand sanitizer and grubby face masks and stuff like that. And it's kind of like a really sort of sign of the times thing. Because, you know, when have you ever used a face mask? It's kind of... I know. Um, yeah. yeah, all the word furlough. Yeah. Yeah, furlough. Where did that come from? I oh. thought it was something to do with horses and horse races. I realised that <laughs> yes. was... I think that was like f- furlong. Yes, is, it is. Yeah. And then there was then there's furrow, which is something you do when it's like a farming kind yes. of like... With a plough. Like, or a brow. Yeah. And so, so yeah, furlough was actually a completely, completely new word. Yeah, and everyone was like, "Oh, furlough this, that, and the other." Like they've been using it for six weeks. Like you yeah. didn't know what it was till yesterday, bitch. Like, <laughs> calm down. I, <laughs> I like your idea in cre- creating a, re- a, a word for that that Zoom thing as well. Like the Germans have normally got a word for most things, yeah. haven't they? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Them. Really specific. <laughs> My husband Tim actually did. He came up with a word for that awkward. Um, saying goodbye to someone then staying staying with them and he made it from german i think it's like gefrischte sankt or something but it, it translates as early goodbye anxiety ah that's perfect <laughs> so, yeah so it's that 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 kind of thing we want i also think the other thing that's quite uh sort of the time that's quite funny is that whenever ever anyone says they're doing anything like oh, i met with a friend or went for drinks they always say Socially distant, of course, yes. like yes. at the end of the sentence. Yes. It's always like, oh, we went for a social distance drink or we met in the park socially distant because like yeah. everyone's just worried they're going to be judged. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nobody wants to be judged. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, it's suffix. like we've got a, fr- a friend of ours lives on his own, um, our friend Shane. And so he, um, he, when we could have a bubble, he came round to ours to be sort of bubble so he could oh. hang out and not be on his own. So whenever we, we're in the pub now, like we were in, in, a, in the pub across the road, um, they've got a roof terrace we there yesterday and he came along and we hugged him and we were always like, he's in our bubble, he's in our bubble, don't judge, don't judge, don't judge. <laughs> it's kind of weird loud. <laughs> All right, you nosy bastards. He's in the bubble. Yeah. For God's sake. We are going to be in such 
oddly under socialized and over socialized as a generation aren't we yeah <laughs> it does get rid of that whole awkward do i hug someone when i meet them thing you That's know hugging because i've never been comfortable with that i would always just prefer a, a handshake and yeah. whatever and so may, maybe it'll stop that a little bit but there's, there is this like awkward elbow thing at the moment as well isn't there that people are doing this. well there is also the sort of version where people you you arrive somewhere with someone and they see you and then and then you go oh but we can't. Oh, yeah. Like you do that yeah. sort of weird imaginary yeah. hug yeah. where you sort of, yeah, yeah. you look like you're yeah. pretending to hold them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All the awkwardness, none the germs. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on. And we're obviously going to talk about Dame Shirley at length. But first, I'd love to ask you the questions that we ask all of our fabulous mm. guests. Are you ready? Yes, let's go for it. Ah! Yes. I'm, I'm excited. Um, Paul, I will always love you. Who is your ride or die diva? Well, I feel like a bit of a creep saying this, having considering the T-shirt you're wearing and nah. what we've uh, been talking about. But I have to say Madonna. Yes. Um, and I was and I was a bit like I, I was when I was looking at this I was, I was thinking and obviously you know shares quite any obvious one Dolly Parton different things but I was thinking in a way I think Madonna because she doesn't get defended enough or get the credit she deserves enough so I think think I it's I should champion her a bit yes. because I think considering how much she has achieved and whatever she just is constantly getting criticism and yeah. it's it's just it's just sexism and misogyny isn't it really it it's is. kind of um so yeah so i think i think madonna oh, that is music to my ears thank it's you the very perfect much. answer she has been a bit she did, has done said, done something a bit dodgy on instagram this week oh, kind of like what's she done now she, done now? <laughs> she, she, she shared some she didn't i think she shared something i don't think she created it herself but it was one of those things that was about that weird um anti-malaria drug that in America, they're saying some people are saying can halt COVID, and I think Donald Trump's son said something about it. So it's a bit like Aww. that's a weird misinformation kind of stuff, and it's just like, oh, Madonna, we don't, we don't need, we don't need you as our source for COVID-related news. So yeah. don't bother. Oh no, <laughs> like, yeah. she's missed the mood a couple of times during the old lockdown. I'd say she's the yeah, the bath, uh, the hairbrush, singing. yeah, getting Mercy James to dance to, and and. Um, police brutality that was that wasn't great but she's still the greatest <laughs> yeah and i think you know what i do think i think she shows and it's a bit in a bit like i remember similar to like debbie harry i remember debbie harry years ago in between kind of albums or something she did an appearance at uh, some music festival this would have been in the 90s yeah. and she was really quite big at the time she put on a lot of weight and there was a huge amount of stuff in the paper how rough she looked and whatever and and like madonna always gets and i'm like you know mick jagger rolling stones they'll bring someone out they'll do a concert he'll have he will have a face like a reject from a totem pole shop yeah. it's like and nobody, nobody says anything. Yeah. Ever. They never, you know, there's obviously there's a joke about him, you know, people say, oh, they're old or whatever, but they're like, they never get that kind of criticism. They never say, oh, you're past it, you're trying too hard. Yeah. Oh my God, you've got a rapper with you, shut up, granddad, and all that kind of stuff. Whereas yeah. Madonna just gets it. And it's like, and I think the interesting about Madonna as well is that in that, when Gaga first came out, I think Lady Gaga is great, but it's almost like there can only be one successful female and and we were all always supposed to pitch them against each other yeah so straight away it was like oh lady gaga's taking madonna's crown or whatever and i was like you know remember that like like a prayer was madonna's fourth album like let's let's see with lady you know and ray of yeah. light was what 
se- I don't know, seven albums in or something. Yeah. It's kind of like Madonna has achieved a huge amount over a really long time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and also, you know, Madonna's last album, I think, was, you know, it was interesting. It was a bit of a mixed bag, but it's like for someone who's been around for that long to be trying to do something different and innovative she's not gone down the road of doing a jazz album or a folk album or a strict back stripped back covers album kind of you know all that sort of stuff it's like she's she's still you know um doing interesting things and and use and seeking out different types of music and whatever and you know again sometimes it misfires like some of the lyrics on Madame X are a little bit you know patronizing and kind of a bit over the top but then when it works it works and you know she's still doing interesting stuff so yeah yeah all credit to her I think oh all hail couldn't agree more <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> all hail the Madge all hail the Madge oh, well you mentioned her so this will, this will be if I could turn back time uh, mm. which diva would you send into which historical situation it doesn't have to be Cher <laughs> okay well this one I think I would like to send Joan Rivers into the Trojan Wars <laughs> now part of this is it's not that i think joan rivers would change the outcome of them and i'm also conscious i don't want to send back a diva who's going to change history because we all know you know timelines but i when i was at university i did english and drama and one of the courses we did was kind of like greek classics i remember reading the iliad which is homer's kind of like account of that and there was so much lists of like, and then so-and-so, who was the son of so-and-so, who who was born in whatever, he boarded the ship to whatever. And I was like, no, you need Joan Rivers, like, doing her, like, um, her catwalk thing and being like, <laughs> oh, hip, look at her. She, you know, face that launched a thousand ships. Mm. And, you know, uh, face that made a thousand ships. Face that, you know, and just all that. So basically, if, if Joan Rivers could sass up our history... <laughs> So that all these things you have to read at school or whatever just were just a bit, you know, and I'm not no criticism to Homer. I'm Homer, obviously he's did this, you know, I'm not, but yeah, so I think Joan, Joan, a bit of Joan Rivers' sass in our history books would, would be fantastic. Oh, so, that, yeah. that would be absolutely iconic. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you fighting over this bitch? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, she'd be brilliant. Oh, RIP. Homer, if you're listening, please do write in. Let us know your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, let's hear your side. Who runs the world? Who would get the nuclear codes? I think in terms of making sure she hangs on to them, doesn't let anyone get hold of them, and the right outcome happens, I think it has to be Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> like, she... she you know, the ultimate final girl, she survives, she always makes it through. So I think she, I think I would I would want her to have them. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely perfect answer. Yeah, born survivor. Yeah, great choice. And, and also sort of a bit of a sidebar about her. I think she, isn't she married to Christopher Guest? I think so, yeah. Something is she? Like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think they still are. Because there's, there's some weird thing about, for some reason, he's like an honorary here or something from family something so at one point she was like a baroness or something odd like that there was that might be one when when you do a jamie lee curtis show the yeah <laughs> the bar- baroness jamie lee curtis <laughs> or something some some weird thing but yeah i think she'd she'd be pretty cool and you know she um she yeah she just always she she fights off anything so she'd she'd be fine oh perfect the codes are being in safe hands <laughs> and a uh, material girl what's on your rider um, obviously, so I, I'm involved in sort of 
clubbing type things and a bit of DJing, a bit of promoting, but obviously not a lot of that is actually performing. Mm -hmm. So I, so, you know, I never really considered myself in a position to warrant any of that kind of stuff, but you know, apart from the obvious stuff of booze, maybe yeah. like some cheese. Oh, Just nice. Like, you know. <laughs> any particular cheese? Like a good cheddar, I think. Oh, or, lovely. Or, yeah, nothing, you know, you don't want any, yeah, a good, a good cheddar or maybe a bit of smoked cheese or something like that. Oh, nothing nice. with it to have with it. Just eat it like a chocolate bar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Just bite into it like a dairy milk. Yeah, yeah exactly. Delicious. Oh, cathedral ones. They have cathedrals, oh, don't yeah. they? Oh yeah, they have a little yeah, little cathedral city one. A couple of those. Mm. Couple Some of those. baby bells. Yeah, we can run to that. Yeah. Why Absolutely. not? <laughs> why not? Go for it. On the way to you now. <laughs> <laughs> what does the word diva or being a diva, what does that mean to you? I think really it's down to quality. I think you have to be amazingly good at the thing that you're a diva for. Mm-hmm. And I think there also has to be something unique about the way that you do it um and if you think of the really you know the really big people whether it's a voice an acting style a sense of humor or whatever there isn't there isn't somebody who's a direct comparison um and interesting obviously we know madonna doesn't necessarily get the credit for having the best voice or the best acting however the way she puts herself forward as the, the package of madonna she she is the best person at doing that yeah Tina Turner, nobody sounds like Tina Turner. Cher, nobody sounds like Cher. Um, uh, interestingly, t- uh, Tina Turner is a really good example, actually, because I, I, I've in lockdown, I've really got into listening to her private dancer album oh, a lot. Record. And oh. I, I played lots of songs from it on Red Show. And interestingly, so many of the songs are not written by, by or for her. Um, private dancer was written by Mark Knopfler from Dire Straits. No way. Yep. And um, one of the other ones, I think, um, What's Love Got to Do With It, I need to check, it's either that one or one of the other singles, yeah. was offered to, like, uh, Cliff Richard and no. was even recorded by Bucks Fizz. Fuck. And then it finally got to her. Yeah, every song you hear of Tina Turner's, you think that couldn't have been ever intended by someone else. In, yeah. I'd say a bit like, obviously, like Shirley Bassey, she makes it sound her own. So, yeah. yeah, so I think with Divas, it's kind of being that, that very unique... Um, and, you know, you think of someone like, you then think of someone like Leona Lewis, who is like an amazing singer. Yeah. And sounds really great. And she's probably, the, of the sort of all those British stars that come out of TV, she's probably the only one that has that kind of American type level of Whitney, Whitney Mariah type yeah. belter. But yeah. there just isn't a personality there to make it her interesting enough. Yeah. Um, or unique enough. Uh, and I think it's interesting with Diva, so much of references to Diva are about Diva behaviour. Mm. And you just think, you know, like Gemma Collins doing whatever. And I'm like, that's not a Diva, that's a brat. And the Diva behaviour, it's tolerable if you are that person who's there. So yeah, so I think Diva's basically um, top of their game and, and you know, inc- incomparable, really. I love that, yeah. It's like uh, walking in Memphis, like with Cher. It's it's when you listen to the original, she's, mm. it's literally just this. I think I'm pretty sure it's the same backing track. Like she's just, yeah. it's just yeah. the same recording, but she's just they've dubbed her vocals over the top. But it's a different. But it's yeah. a share song. Yeah. Like no one ever think. I don't even know what the guy's name was, but no. like it's a share song. Everyone knows it as a share song. It's a great share song. Like yeah, it's irrelevant. Like it's just the fact that Cher's put her stamp on it, and it sounds exactly the same. But it's share, so you just yeah. go, yeah, it's the one. 
We've also, I think, I don't know, maybe it's the era of kind of like singer-songwriters. We've got into this sort of habit of thinking that um, there's something less legitimate about the divas because they don't write their own songs mm. as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, but if you think about it, someone like Linda Ronstadt never never wrote a song in her life. She just sang other people's songs. Interpre- being yeah. an interpreter of songs is just as vi- as vital. And yeah. you're right, the ones, you, the, the ones that we consider as the, as the greats are interpreters of songs. And if they behave in a way that might be team, deemed as being diva-ish, it's kind of because they are know they've got an exceptional product and they want to do what they can to produce it mm. under their own terms. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and I think, you know, and also I imagine there's a huge amount of pressure to get stuff right. So you just want yeah. the best conditions to not, not mess up when you're, when you're someone like that. Um, but yeah, I think it's also interesting, and of course that thing about whether you write your own songs or not, I guess it can make a difference. You think of someone like Dusty Springfield, yeah. who ended up kind of pretty much on the rocks in the early 80s, kind of in a really bad way, and kind of sort of, I heard on, there's this really great um, podcast I listened to called Unflopped, and they were talking about about her and how at one point she was singing in singing in kind of gay bars in LA to sort of backing tracks of her own songs, because oh they didn't God. have like, you know, it was too cheap to have whatever um to have uh, musicians and that kind of stuff yeah. and she was in a really difficult relationship that was very problematic and various things and then um and then it was kind of the pet shop boys that then then revived her. and obviously we know the pet shop boys they do they do wonders with the diva yes um uh uh and yeah so i guess that thing you maybe with, with a lot of the the big sort of vocalist divas you don't have that necessarily that security mm. of Unless obviously someone like Beyonce nowadays, you, there's so much more business behind it, and you're you're a brand and you're an empire, and you have your cosmetic range and kind of whatever. But yeah. you know those those kind of divas that were coming out of the 50s, 60s, 70s, and you know I would imagine like Shirley Bassey, who we're talking about in a bit, there's yeah. that there, there's a much greater chance that financially they could have been fucked over a little bit with stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah that's um, very true. Yeah. Yes. yes women and yeah women feeling marginalized anyway in the societies they were coming up in as well like having to mm. assert themselves and then by the time they mm. go into the industry it being difficult enough as it is without having yeah. to yeah having to put your stamp on it mm. lovely and our final question have have you ever been a diva <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking about this and I'm, I'm i'm sure i have um in terms of an interesting anecdote about it um i remember once this is probably being a bit more queenly than a diva, but it kind of fits. Um, I was uh, sort of after you, uh, maybe a couple of years after university, a friend and I went to travel around um, South America for a couple of months. And we ended up um, sharing a flat in Colombia for uh, a couple of weeks with some other friends like over the millennium. And we had this nice flat and we always used to, you know, get ready and go out and, you know, we'd be cooking, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, so we were cooking stuff in the flat. And for some reason, there was this American TV channel called Sony Television. So we could just watch the sort of American TV that's never shown here. Oh, wow. And me and my mate, when we were staying in various different hostels and stuff, we'd got used to watching The Nanny, you know, The Nanny with Fran Drescher. Yes. Um, and I don't know why, we were taking turns making dinner. And one one night, like, <laughs> I, I was cooking. And then, the, the, then I noticed The Nanny was on. And I got really stressed out that I was going to miss The Nanny. And I actually said, <laughs> and my friend put me on it, Oh my god, the nanny is on and I'm so cooking. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, Paul, did you hear what you just said? I was like, Oh my god. And also I wouldn't have been cooking anything particularly problematic. <laughs> yeah. You know, it would have been called on feast. So I think that's that's probably one example. <laughs> doing a hollandaise sauce. It's just like, I've yeah, got, exactly. I've got to keep whisking. I am so cooking. Yeah. 
I'm so cooking. God, I wish you had a t-shirt. Have you? Did you have a t-shirt on it? <laughs> yeah. The nanny's on. Actually. <laughs> it says, oh God, the nanny's on. And then on the back it says, I'm so cooking. So, so cooking. <laughs> Which is great because when you walk down the street, everyone that walks behind you just sees, I am I'm so, so cooking. cooking. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Thank you so much. That's okay. Well, we're going to have a little break. When we get back, we're going to get we're going to get into Dame Shirley Bassey. Fantastic. Yeah. On the radio show of the week, I played Dollar. Oh yeah. Mirror, and it made me think of that whole thing between Cheryl Baker and um, David Van Day. Oh yes, because he he there was some weird thing where he wasn't originally in Bucks Fizz, but then he was in one of the versions that when they sort of split into different ones, and then he sort of sued them to get the name. But basically, this big feud. Yeah, and I actually edited it and played it on the show. There was you know that show Coach Trip. They do celebrity yeah. coach. Trip. Yeah, yes. They had um, they were on it. And she was on it, and he was on it as well. And they have this bit where you have to vote people off. And people are always like, oh, it's, you know, just got to, not, got to know you as well and all this. And she's like, and I'm not making any excuses. I voted for David Van Day because I can't stand you. You're the person I hate most on this earth, and I really want to get rid of you. Whatever. <laughs> You're a horrible person. It's brilliant. Yes. And it's like, and then I played the little clip where you <laughs> had that spat with Sonia on that show. You know, oh. they did that um, They did that show where they were taught, reborn in the USA. Oh, and Sonia yes, yes. On it. And it's a bit where she's like, um, she's like, I can't stand you. You're a horrible person, whatever. And I was just laughing about how, like, <laughs> Cheryl Baker is probably what you just think about. Yeah, like record breaker, and her just being like inoffensive and whatever, yeah. and Sonia as well. And the fact that you could get vitriol from Sonia <laughs> and Cheryl Baker, you have to really be a bit of a dick. <laughs> like, <laughs> alrighty, shall we do it? I think mm. so. And we're gonna get into Dame. Shirley Bassey. I am stressing that I'm going to call her Dame Shirley Bassey throughout, as yeah. she would want. Or DSB. Absolutely. Or DSB yeah. for, for sure. Now, Paul, what does she mean to you? Can you sum her up? I mean... She is like, she is beyond camp. Like, like just the 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 gowns, the outfits, the the sort of very over the top mannered way of performing and talking and everything it's like but again she's got she's got she delivers a good she's just got the most in, most amazing voice and you know you you know it's, it's a voice that can like wake the dead and uh but you know can also when she's doing her quieter moments can be really beautiful and really moving yeah. so i think she, yeah she's um she is uh yeah ultimate diva really and just kind of um uh, no, no one like her. No, no one like one. her. And no one. Yeah. And yeah. what an instrument, as you say, it's that they, it, it does feel almost like it's a whole brass section sometimes, doesn't it? And, yeah. and then, yeah, the really lovely, subtle bits she can find in there as well. She's just ugh, indefatigable. And I, and I think also there's just something very old school glamour about her. Yes. Um, and you know, to a point where she where she's almost her own parody at times. But it's like that's fine. She's Shelley Bassey. She can be. Yeah. Like, sorry, Dame Shelley Bassey. She yes, exactly. Be. Dame Shelley Bassey. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Even her friends call her Dame Shirley Bassey. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. All right. Well, the words Tiger Bay are perhaps as synonymous with Dame Shirley Bassey as Pink Champagne or Monte Carlo, and the mythos of the little girl with the big voice from Tiger Bay is undeniably appealing for its rags to riches narrative. 
a narrative that Dame Shirley has often been perceived to distance herself from. The what people tend to know about Tiger Bay follows the broad brushstrokes of its history, a centre of multiculturalism in the heart of Cardiff, which emerged post-industrial revolution and was home to the red-light district of the city. However, what this potted narrative glosses over as it focuses on the mundane grit of industrial poverty is this astonishing fact. The first recorded landing of a free black man was in Cardiff Docks. Yeah, mad. I, I didn't know that mm. until I did a bit, a bit of digging. No, I didn't know either. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? And and yeah, this is everyone kind of concentrates, I think, a little bit on the the t- Tiger Bay being somewhere that's associated with sex work. And I'm, mm-hmm. I think that's something we'll see a little bit as we chat about the way Shirley was is sometimes positioned by people in yeah. the media. And I think that's really interesting considering Bristol's Ooh. just around the corner. But Shirley has been historically reticent to talk about her childhood, largely, I imagine, because she had a really shitty time. Um, Mm. In 2010, John L. Williams' book, Miss Shirley Bassey, uh, the title alone, which would have fucked her off royally, uh, (laughs) (laughs) it pulled back the curtain with little to no ceremony on a past that she's worked very hard to conceal. Dame Shirley Mm. wants it concealed, you say? Well, let's tell you all about it. Um, So we struggled a little bit about this, Paul, as to whether to tell listeners sort of what's in the book. After all, Dame Shirley does not want us to know. So we've reasoned that it is out there. And what Williams's grubby expose failed to stress was that this is a story of transcendence and survival of a black Mm. national treasure. And the height of her rise is interestingly contextualised by where she came from. So we've sort of let ourselves off the hook there. (laughs) (laughs) Or at least tried. (laughs) So I think what we'll do, we'll tell the details because they are out there and then Mm. we can all just go, never mention these in front of Dame Shirley Bass. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's... In case you were thinking. In case you were thinking. (laughs) So she was born 8th of January, 1937 to Eliza Metcalf, a Yorkshire woman on the run from an unhappy marriage and Henry Bassey, whose birth name was Okon Apauso, a Nigerian seaman. So Bassey, originally from Calaba in Nigeria, took on the more westernised name before joining a merchant ship, (laughs) eventually settling in Tiger Bay in 1919, where he met Eliza. Shirley is variously reported as being one of seven or one of ten of Eliza's children. It seems that Eliza had two children before she left Metcalf, the husband, one of whom was his daughter, and then both girls remained with him. And Mm. yeah, it seems that the reason for the breakdown of the marriage was that Eliza had become pregnant by someone else. So Mm -hmm. Eliza and Henry have their first daughter, Grace, and then they get married five months later. When Eliza married Bassey in 1927, she put her ex-husband, Alfred Metcalf's name, down as her own father, seemingly in an effort to conceal bigamy, I guess. I'm not really sure how that conceals it, but that seems to be the... Yeah, it's a double bluff, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Who's there? So Alfred Metcalf is your father. Yeah, definitely my dad. Yeah. Okay, lovely stuff. And not the same... Okay, let's just move on. (laughs) So Henry's work became harder and harder to come by as the Depression sunk its teeth into the mercantile trade, and jobs on land were often barred to men of colour. So the Bassies were forced to illegally sublet and move regularly to put their former landlords off the trail. I mean, Tiger Bay isn't that big, so they must have had to move quite a bit. Yeah, mm. every other week, I imagine. <laughs> put people off the, the, off the, the scent. Uh, but they were soon to move further afield to escape a truly tragic scandal. So just a, a trigger warning for the listener as well. I'm going to bring up the assault of a child. So if you, you might want to skip on 30 seconds or so. 
So Henry Bassey, Dame Shirley's father, was arrested for the repeated sexual assault of a female child. Uh, the case was reported in the press and sent ripples of shame and recrimination through the community. Uh, Bassey was sentenced to five years in jail before being deported back to Nigeria. And Shirley never saw him again. And Eliza moved the family to Splot. So it is unclear if Shirley ever knew about this. So uh, she's given slightly contradictory stories to the press mm. about her parents, perhaps deliberately. But one story was that her parents had divorced when she was two. Uh, she's also amused over whether her preference for older men was linked to a lack of a father figure. Remarkably, mm -hmm. this story was, if not forgotten, never spoken about publicly by the residents of Tiger Bay in conjunction with Dame Shirley until Williams's book. Yeah, so that's that's the stuff that we're not supposed mm. <laughs> not supposed to know, and it's deeply tragic and mm. deeply uh, upsetting. I imagine for her mm. to have out in the public consciousness and. It, I just I think it's fascinating that the people who are of that community were like we're not going to mention it. Yeah, that that is interesting, and I guess also I guess I guess for her happening, what you know, when she was so little, yeah. she probably would have been told various different things, and then yeah, and interestingly, it's about a sense of community. Actually, I guess it's almost like you know she's doing really well for herself, and I think maybe maybe nowadays people the way the press works and that people would be leaping to kind of dish the dirt on someone and kind of insinuate something by association or something like that whereas yeah, yeah that didn't didn't seem to happen there yeah. um as you say like she was so so young it was nothing to bloody do with her was it mm. but uh and and society i think has moved on to a certain extent but you're right like there's no way that muck wouldn't have been raked up if it was happening now Mm. That would never have been a, a till twenty. No one. I was not publicly known until two thousand and ten, which mm. is pretty remarkable. Yeah. So Shirley grew up in Splot rather than Tiger Bay, which was far less racially progressive. However, Shirley has always been quick to say that racial prejudice was not the blight of her childhood. To quote Dame Shirley with some language of the sixties, "Being coloured was never my problem. Never has been. In Cardiff, our problem was more basic: a four-letter word, food." So, mm. yeah. it's interesting isn't it like just real gritty poverty mm. and Eliza became involved with another man at some point in the 40s so Joseph Bobo Mendy a sailor from Sierra Leone uh, divorce from Henry Bassey is not recorded but Eliza did change her last name to Mendy so it is presumably Joseph who Shirley is remembering when asked about her father by an interviewer and she replied he was just a big stranger who would occasionally appear out of nowhere and pick me up and try to kiss me mm. yeah Joseph, the distant, shy stranger of her childhood, would infamously pull a gun on Eliza years later in Christmas 1955 after she had repeatedly hit him over the head with her shoe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the gun went off when one of Eliza's other daughters pushed Mendy out of the room and he, he was actually going to stand trial for attempted murder and he died before that could ever happen. So, so there you go. There's the whole tale of... Uh, lot, isn't there? It's a lot. It's a, <laughs> it's a lot to cover up. It's a dark opening. It's a dark opening. On an otherwise mm. fabulous life. Yes, exactly. Mm. Well, there have been some other dark moments, of course, famously. Well, probably. yes, I think we'll probably get into more of those in, in part two. But yeah, the uh, the diamonds. She, the, she, there's a metaphor in there somewhere about... Yeah. Yeah. Polishing a diamond or summer. Yeah. Diamond yeah. in the rough. Diamond in the rough. There you go. So we'll go on the record now with a few things that Dame Shirley has volunteered about her childhood. As a quote, incredible tomboy. 
Uh, she has said that her dual heritage was not widely discussed within the family, but she did have one teacher at school who she believed to be a racist. Speaking to The Guardian, she recalls, She set about me one day with a ruler, up and down my legs and arms, so I just went, POW! She pulls her arm back and pounds her fist into an imaginary stomach, because the pain was awful, just to stop the pain. You hit her? Of course I did. Yeah. <laughs> Dame Shirley punched a racist. <laughs> Love it. She's quite scrappy, as well as again, as we'll get into later on. Yeah, not afraid of a fist not fight. Not afraid of a fist fight. So Shirley left school at 15 to work in a factory and hit the working men's circuit back in Tiger Bay. So she's going back to Tiger Bay now. Uh, reminiscing about this period, she has said, I was happy in Cardiff. I had a great time. Every Thursday, there was a factory club, darts, dancing. I was happy until success entered my life, and then it was all downhill. So at 16, Dame Shirley became pregnant with a daughter, Sharon, by a father who's never been named. Despite a slightly awkward relationship with her family who were baffled by her talent, Sharon was raised by one of her sisters, Iris, and Dame Shirley was passed off as Auntie Shirley. Pretty common practice, well into the last century, I would have said. Yeah. It's absolutely baffling to us now, isn't it? But illegitimacy was a huge deal. In, mm. the, in that part of the world, in that part of the last yeah. century. Yeah. Um, it happened in my family. It was just a, everyone did it, I think. They'd just be like, okay, it will assimilate you in as, as one of the sisters. Mm. Mm. And even in the 60s, because we think of the 60s being so progressive, don't we? But mm. they, when, when the scandal broke about this, yeah. people, people still had all of those um, preconceptions and, and yeah. bizarre, I, I guess, religious problem with with illegitimacy yeah yeah and it's interesting that actually you know a more contemporary narrative possibly frames that sort of situation as actually someone's done incredibly well that they've kind of managed to have a kid bring up kids you know and um on their own and it not not be something to be ashamed of or or worried about but yeah it was very different times i guess yeah such a good point yeah. yeah it's a really good point in 1953 dsb took part in a touring variety show called memories of jolson a musical based on the life of al jolson so al jolson was <clears throat> quote the king of blackface so this may have been a minstrel show <laughs> uh, which mm. is obviously not ideal big part of british culture huge part mm. huge unfortunate part yes. of british culture mm. Um, which thankfully we seem to have got rid of almost entirely now that Little Britain is off Netflix. (laughs) But the booking agent, Michael Sullivan, spotted Dame Shirley and got her booked for her first major shows, leading to the release of a first single, Burn My Candle at Both Ends, (laughs) recorded when Shirley was just 19. So the radio station 1956 were not here for the lyrics. Lyrics such as, uh, Who has an inhibition? Who has a notch that's on the handle? Open my door and spurn the scandal. Who wants to help me burn my candle at both ends? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know this track, Paul? Yeah. 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 It's yeah. <laughs> I love yeah. I love the way that she does a, a sort of her way with an entendre. It's yeah. Just yeah. a deftness of touch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, and that, you know, that, of course, if you think about how she made Big Spend her own and that line about yeah. the way she delivers... I won't pop my cork for every man I see. It's kind yeah. of a, yeah, she sort of relishes it, really. It's great. <laughs> exactly, yeah. She knows exactly what she's doing. I love it. It might be from the, probably from the clubs and stuff, like the Tiger Bay. So yeah. The working men's clubs and places that she's played. That's probably where, 
you probably build up a pretty uh, strong sense of innuendo from, yeah. that, from yeah. that sort of quite, quite raucous environment. So she had a couple of other sassy big band jazz songs, which didn't quite make an impression until she got a number eight hit with the Banana Boat song. The mm. Banana Boat song, i.e., Deo. <laughs> Divas love this one, don't they? <laughs> Have you ever seen that clip where um, <sighs> Liza's getting out of a car and the journalist is like, so there's a rumour, Liza, that you can't sing anymore. And she's like, of course I can. And then she d- she just goes, Dale! <laughs> like, why, why was that the one you chose, babe? <laughs> of all the songs you could have done in your back catalogue, you decided you were going to do bit of Dale. Maybe it's like a, a well-known sort of warm-up technique. Maybe. For, for, for vocal divas. Yeah, they can just, just... Oh, quickly get the range out very quickly. So, yeah. Maybe she thought she was, yeah, she was warming up and then the next thing she knows, he's like, okay, thanks for the interview. She's like, no, wait. Yeah. yeah. I can do it this time. Yeah. I can do words. <laughs> I just, you know, Liza, I just always that amazing line in Ab Fab where they say, um, oh, Liza, something like Liza, and then she's always hugging people, and they're like, she's not doing that, so that's how she gets across the room. <laughs> like, hello, how are you? Hello, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. So Dame Shirley Bassey, well on her way to stardom post-Deo. In mid-1958, she recorded two singles that would become DSB classics. As I Love You, originally released as a B-side, uh, but in January became the first number one single by a Welsh artist. Off the back of this, we got Kiss Me, Honey Money, Kiss Me, another top three hit. So DSB signs to Columbia and her career began to go off like a bottle of pink champagne, darling. Alongside the slinky, glamorous songs about disposable men, which have become her trademark, she seemed to have a thing for doing show tunes, As Long As He Needs Mm. Me, followed by Climb Every Mountain, and Somewhere from West Side Story were all big hits. She broke America, like the Beatles, by performing on the Ed Sullivan Show in 1960 and sang at a gala for JFK's second term. Who made a pass at her? Fuck's sake. Of course he did. (laughs) Yeah. I found this out recently listening to a podcast about JFK yeah. that um, one of the reasons well one of the reasons I mean probably the reason or the psychological reason anyway for him being such a womanizer his father was also a womanizer and used to chat openly about it to his sons and say that they should oh, really? follow his behavior he was instructed by his father to behave Do- that way oh that's super healthy mm. yeah oh yeah deeply yeah. unhealthy and his bedridden mother <laughs> yeah sure wow <sighs> But it's... White male privilege. Right? (laughs) Alive and well. (laughs) Well, very much not. Not anymore. (laughs) Oh, shit, yeah. In this case. (laughs) This particular case. So notably, uh, she was also on the cover of Ebony magazine in 63, which, again, I thought was really interesting that uh, as she was becoming an even bigger, more visible star, she was becoming more visible as a woman of dual heritage. Mm. And this is where we would traditionally take a little break we would we normally have a little break at if you were here in person with us darling we would have given you a themed bassy snack <laughs> but you're what, not what what but you're not here so we'll just have to have imagine what, what do you think your imaginary bassy snack might have been well it would have to be champagne darling of course darling of course. That, um there's that amazing there was an amazing documentary i think it was like uh was it like imagine or one of the things that alan yentov used to do yeah. about in the late 90s and it and it included doing the video shoot for um uh history repeating with the propeller heads oh. and she's she stood in this of uh, this gown and whatever and there's a moment where she goes 
they're just like you're getting set up or whatever and she and she says i've been standing here for three hours and nobody's handed me a glass of champagne <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's like someone dropped someone dropped the ball on that the game the champagne and it's like you, know, um, you had one job barry yeah. get you know, like not not even like oh nobody's giving me a drink or offering me a drink. It's like nobody's as if they people should know. Like run on champagne for Shirley Bassey. <laughs> like, yeah, so I think it would have to be champagne. Oh, that's like yeah, we I'd would. I like to imagine the dedication as well that it takes to just stand stock still for three hours, <laughs> just <laughs> waiting yeah. for someone <laughs> to give you champagne. Well, if I yeah. have to spell it out for you, uh, yeah, we yeah. would have given you pink champagne. And in the Guardian <laughs> article, uh, she was eating chocolate cake with sour cream, so we'd have had that as well. Oh. Mm. Very nice. So we'll take a little break and when we get back, we'll get into Bond. And we're back. We are joined by pop horror mastermind Paul Joseph in a discussion of the lives and times of the inimitable Dame Shirley Bassey. We have seen Dame Shirley weathering prejudice and scandal, charted her ascent from Tiger Bay to topping the charts, and now we come to her cementing her iconic status with her first contribution, Chabond. So Goldfinger came in 65. 1965, her only US top 40 hit. Can you believe? I know. That's the only one. That's mad, isn't it? In the US of A? Yeah. Dame Shirley Bassey? Yeah. Makes no sense to me. That's the same year she recorded the title track of Liquidator, a Bond spoof. Uh, First of all, has anyone seen that? No, I've heard the track, though. I haven't. I'll have to check that out. So the track's called Liquidator. It's called Liquidator. It's it's a classic, like, Bond, I can't remember the tune, it's like... He makes things liquid. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone wants to sleep with him. (laughs) That kind of thing. (laughs) Hit the nail on the head. It's interesting to do a Bond spoof and nab the dame, more that she wasn't the dame then, but for to do the the theme song because that really cements it, doesn't it? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So, Paul, can you tell us a little bit about It's Got to Be Bassy, please? So it's got to be Bassy, yeah. So my husband, Tim, and I, we had uh, been involved in an online campaign a couple of, I think back in maybe 2013, where we had um, uh, Tim's Australian and his niece was and her fiancé, who were only, they were only like 18 at the time, they were planning to come and visit us in London. Aww. And we were planning this trip, and then he spoke to them on the phone, they said, oh, they, they weren't sure with money they saved whether they were going to come to London or go on a cruise. And we were like, that's ridiculous. It's got to be London. So we made a little on- online campaign where we sort of got a, a sign that said it's got to be London. And we basically <laughs> filmed ourselves all around London, holding it and in different places. It's got to be London. That Aww. became an online campaign. They got interviewed for the news on it in, uh, in Australia. And it got a little bit of, you know, it, it was a little little internet thing. Oh, wow. um, and then a couple of years later... We were actually in, in Australia again, and we were we were visiting a well, what we call a, a vineyard, but they call it a winery in, in Australia. <laughs> and it was this lovely. And there's a place for saying that they have concerts there. And there's a picture of Shirley Bassey, and I just I thought, God, Shirley Bassey. And it was around the time like Spectre had already been announced, and you know whatever. And I just thought, Shirley, we need more Shirley Bassey. We need more Shirley Bassey. And I spoke to him. And I said, Right, we need to do our campaigning to get her or to get her, or to get them to allow her, or ask her to do the next Bond theme. Um, you know, we don't do things by half. We decided that we were going to edit ourselves into every single Bond film with a sign that says, it's got to be Bassy," which meant we had to watch every Bond film in sequence and look for moments where, <laughs> where James Bond is turning around and it could potentially be 
he could potentially see us and then and then we would film something that vaguely <laughs> vaguely <laughs> looks like the same environment and then edit it in so we had this interesting period for a very long time of watching every Bond film in a row, which again was like, oh, you know, the sort of tropes of Bond, and particularly the more negative ones, of just like, oh yeah, oh yeah, there's going to be there's going to be a beautiful woman who is the wife of a mobster or the girlfriend of a mobster. She's possibly in a bit of an exploitive relationship herself. However, James Bond is going to seduce her in order to get some information or something sleep with her, and then she'll get murdered. Oh. Um, no, and it's just like, she's not the proper bong girl, it's whatever. And, there's, yeah. and you know, so watch them all, and, and even like in the, 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 um, the uh, Roger Moore ones were getting really kind of stale. He was sort of past it. So suddenly when you go from Tim- on to Timothy Dalton, who's like tough and whatever, it was a real breath of fresh air. So we watched all of these, and then spent a few, we did a schedule and spent a few weeks, and we decided we were going to dress in tuxedos and go to all these different locations and film ourselves holding these signs. And then we edited it together managed to get it into a video uh, and had it, I think it, it was maybe about four or five minutes long and it had a mashup of the different Bond, it was set to a mashup of, of um, the Bond, the main Bond theme and then her three Bond songs, not, not, people aren't as familiar with Moonraker, but we included that. Yeah, and we um, launched it online and it got quite a lot of attention and, it, and it, what, was, what was nice is it, it got, you know, weird things like in the Netherlands there's this Dutch TV show, like a chat show, where the week that the, the the video was launched, they um they got three musical guests on who were all people big in the Netherlands, and they all they all sang a, a Shirley Bassey song, and it got people talking about Shirley Bassey again. And even in in the when there was sort of like the odds are on for who's going to do the Bond song, she was being she was being mentioned. And um, so yeah, so it did it did it did quite well, and it got to the um it got to the attention of of the dame herself. <gasps> Cease and desist. Well, no, actually, we um, we were contacted by I think it's Wales Online, yeah. and um, one of her people had contacted them to say, we we need to know more about this. What is it? And and basically put us in touch with her her PA, who um who wanted to speak to us, a lovely lady called Victoria, in Monaco. Or Monte Carlo, and um, I don't know if Monaco and Monte Carlo are the same place or yes. how that all works. But yeah. you know, it's kind of—I think Monte Carlo is in Monaco, perhaps. Yes. Yeah. And so I had a phone call with her where she was very, she was very lovely lady, and she and she said, you know, um, Dame Shirley um, has seen it, and she she was very impressed by it, and she wondered could she possibly have a DVD copy for her collection. Ah! And, um, and then yeah, so she saw it. And then we got a, a little note from her saying thank you for doing it. I very much enjoyed it, etc. And then. She was appearing at a a variety awards fundraising thing. There was a there was a bond a bond vehicle exhibition at uh, a museum space in near Covent Garden. I think. That's the, right. Oh, yeah, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. 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 Museum, and they were doing a fundraising thing there, and it was like an auction and various things and whatever. And she was the sort of guest of honor. I think that, that's it. They were launching a book of of photographs, and she was there and so the chief executive contacts on twitter and said oh, would you like to come along so we were like yeah sure so we we, we went we, we bought tickets and we went along we had our tuxedos tuxedos on feeling a bit stupid or whatever but when we went in um tim looked tim noticed on the guest list that where our names said next it said friends of dame shirley bassey and, we were like, Ooh. and um so we, so yeah so we, we we got to meet her which was really really lovely like really lovely it, you know it's one of those things that you're a bit like oh my god like you know she's a she's, she's a she's a fearsome figure and you wouldn't want a bad experience with her um but we were so we were there and she came through and it's i've never really experienced this before where there's celebrities around how you know i'm being quite british and waiting to get my moment to talk to her yeah but people 
pushing in and people keep just suddenly going up to her and and she's there and you know suddenly people are asking questions and she's answering them and whatever and tim was like oh look come on and so because he's australian he's like come on we need to push forward a little bit and um someone actually said to her oh would you do another bond bond film uh, Bond song and she said oh have you not seen that video it's sensational and Tim who's very tall he went hello and she went oh you're here and she gave Tim a hug and she gave me a hug and what was really nice is we'd seen her being very very polite very charming to you know people asking all these questions it must be so weird when you're a celebrity and people are suddenly just up asking you questions and whatever yeah. but then she just she was so unguarded and like and so we had a little chat with her and she was like how you did it and you know and then there was there was an auction. It's one of those things where you sort of like, no, it was like a raffle, but it's a raffle where it's like you know twenty five quid a ticket. So we were like, we better buy one to just do it, you know. And Tim actually won one of the prizes. And, <laughs> oh. Um, Eamon Holmes was hosting, and she put in the raffle, and it's like he puts hand up, and she went, oh, Tim, I know him, and it was like you know, and it was like so again, it was like it was this lovely moment, and. Um, yeah, and so it was a really, really nice, really nice kind of little cherry on the on the icing of that experience. And then, you know, we got a Christmas card from her that year as well. <gasps> it was just nice that, you know, it was such, it was done as such an homage to her. Yeah. Um, about how, it, you know, you why it has to be bassy and that kind of stuff. And so I'm really, we were really pleased it was taken the right way. And, you know, it, it it's, it's should have been her interestingly as well what and of course you know it was then announced it was sam smith and um i think for a while on twitter shirley bassey was trending more than sam smith because of lots of people saying oh they should have got bassey to do it instead it should have been a shirley bassey song and we actually and interestingly obviously the the the, the new bond film is has been delayed and billy eilish has recorded yeah, right, yeah. which actually when i heard about that i was like oh oh you know and then when I heard it, I was like, actually, this is, uh, this is amazing. And they've yeah. been very smart doing that because she, it's a Bond song and she belts it out, but she's very contemporary and, you know, the kids know who she is and yeah, whatever, whatever. Yeah. But we did think, although, because this one is the 25th one, we thought maybe for this one it would have been quite nice for them to do a Bassy or yes. even like a, a Bassy duet. I mean, I know she, on her last, she did a, an album of like re-recordings of a lot of her classic stuff a couple of years ago and she did a duet with Paloma Faith on it, which I think was like New York, New York, something. It's not necessarily that, but you know, it'd be nice to maybe have her with someone really contemporary and see what they can yeah. do. So yeah, so basically that's how we got to meet the day. Oh, incredible. <laughs> Unbelievable. I was going to ask if you'd taken a picture of the bit where it says friends of Shirley Bassey, but then you've got a Christmas card from her. Yeah. So I, I yeah. didn't see that bit coming. <laughs> yeah. Also, yeah. some yeah. people that, some of the arseholes that were pushing in front of you must have been absolutely livid by the end of the night. Yeah. They saw how, how wonderful she was towards you, and then later on when you won the raffle. Yeah, they must yeah. have been livid. Who are these pricks? <laughs> one, one thing that was really interesting about that, that conversation is that whilst we, were, whilst we were there, you know, we're talking to her, and then people keep chipping in and asking things. And I noticed, and it must be a technique that the, the tabloids use, is there were lots of kind of like people who just look like a young person at a party or whatever. They're asking all these questions, and then they're suddenly like, holding out uh, um, a tape recorder uh, and they'll say oh i'm so so so, so. Oh, they'll say very quickly i'm just so and so from the daily and then ask uh, ask a question and they're not like they don't look like journalists and they're whatever uh, and someone sort of said to her oh what do you think about what younger artists wear um that whether they wear clothes that are too revealing or something and she was like oh well you know you know some of the stuff you look at like you see beyonce at the met gala and she yeah and she was just 
she was just answering a question and she yeah. wasn't being mean or bitchy, but she just wasn't being that kind of me. I guess you have to be sort of media trained in a way. Like sometimes you, you know, you see sort of like, um, pictures on like the red carpet or like an event and you see like two celebrities talking, it looks like they're having a conversation and the yeah. camera pulls back and there's literally like 50 paparazzi right next to them. And it's interesting. The next day there was this headline, I think it was on the mirror online or something. It was like Dame Bassey slams modern kind of, you know, and it was like, and we were, and it was interesting because we were like, we were, I've never seen it before, we were there when that conversation was had or when that comment was made. And it was not, A, it wasn't prompted by her. It was almost like someone put words in her mouth and she just agreed. And also she was just, you know, she was just saying, well, you know, some of these things, you know, you saw that, but it was a bit, you know, in my day, and it wasn't, you know, she wasn't being mean or anything at all. But it's almost, again, it's like their narrative was probably all little, you, you need to go out and get her saying something something yeah. about a modern star and whatever and you know it was uh that's te- that's so interesting yeah. i've actually i've come across that article and i've been researching her so it's like you know that that bit of nasty kind of undercover journalism lasts yeah. forever and it kind yeah. of all adds up to this picture of bitchy shirley bassey you know hates younger stars yeah and, and, it, and, using, and using that that language like slams this and kind oh, of yeah, yeah. It, and it also just makes you realize that probably probably a lot of celebrities now wouldn't, you know, would have be more media trained and just wouldn't, wouldn't have, wouldn't have conversations like that with people. So it's almost like, you know, you would, you wouldn't get that close to Beyonce to ask a question like that, or the no. answer would be so, I'm just saying, I'm just saying Beyonce, because she's, she's a massive star, massive yeah. contemporary star. Um, but the nice thing about Shirley Bassey as well, she was really, she was really playful and cheeky and funny. And, her accent a lot more Welsh than you would think from song and some interviews and whatever. She like really strong accent and really, you know, she's, she's definitely not left that part of her behind. Amazing. Um, yeah, she was kind of, yeah, it was, it was a really nice experience. And like, yeah, I thought she was, she was, she was very nice. Oh, I love that. I love to hear that she's nice. Because a lot of the reporting is, is, yeah, just just kind of like I think maybe because she's so glamorous, maybe people are like we have to tear her down because she's got things. I want things. And yeah, I think there's that, and I think there's also. I mean, we um, I think a year later for her eightieth birthday, they did a a TV special that I think was shown on Christmas Eve or something that David yes. Williams posted. Yeah. We got an email from someone saying. We've seen your we we've seen your clip. Would you be interested in being the studio audience? We want we want the audience to really be given opportunity to really big fans of Dame Shirley. So we we did, and we got to be in the audience for that. And we saw her. Um, and what was really amazing was it was her, and there was like a sort of like twenty six piece orchestra behind or whatever. And the, the the show opened with her singing Goldfinger, and Dave Williams came on and said, Dame Bassey, Goldfinger, and then the lights come on behind. She stood there, she sings, etc. And then finished, and then they're like, okay, reset, whatever. And she's just standing there, standing there, standing there. I think someone passes her a bottle of water. She has a sip, not, not champagne. <laughs> and then it turned out that David Williams had cocked up his in- introduction. He'd, sa- he'd, he'd said something wrong in the wording. And because it led straight into that, they kind of had to do it again. Oh. And she, and they just, they said, okay, we're going to have to do it again. She's like, okay, okay, okay. And so, you know, Goldfinger isn't like yeah. probably... <laughs> Imagine it, imagine it does take something out of you. It's not that, you know, and she just straight away, they did it again and she did it all the way through. It wasn't, and it wasn't even like they said, oh, do it just for the first few notes and then we can cut it into whatever. Did it all again and was yeah. fine. Um, 
And yeah, so I, th I think a lot of the stuff we've heard about this sort of when the people say about diva behavior and whatever, I think it's that kind of like perfectionism side of stuff. Because in that, yeah. in that, in that situation, I think she'd have had every right to be like, David Williams, what are you doing? You've only got to say a few words. I've got yeah. to sing this song, sling your hook, whatever. Yeah. And she wasn't, she was just, you know, so I guess it's, um, I think also, you know, we all have good and bad days, don't we? And kind of, you know, I yeah. think it's, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, yeah, I could imagine she's a, she's a, she's a formidable foe and you probably wouldn't get on the wrong side of her. Yeah. But... Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. But it, it's amazing that, that that song has, you know, it, it's as we said, it's like her only top 40 hit in the US, but it, and it, it, in even here where she's beloved and she's got many more hits, it's still one that really defines her, isn't it? It's yeah. it's a real it's just, it's just, it's a great song. She yeah. the delivery is incredible that final note yeah yeah it's, it's yeah just kind of, it's almost subhuman the way that she belts yeah. it out so and like, i think it, and because it's also about kind of mystery and luxury and gold and all that that really yes. fits her brand as well and it was i think it when was it? it was a few years ago there was the the oscars maybe it was the oscar they were celebrating something maybe it was 50 but they basically had barbara streisand and shirley bassey both singing at the oscars and it was really interesting because obviously sure you know they I was about to say Dame Barbara Streisand. Barbara Streisand. <laughs> she, she may as well, she, she, In terms of the range of stuff she was doing, she obviously she wasn't really doing the same sort of stuff she would have done before. Whereas she, I get the impression Shirley Bassett in that 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 um, Oscar ceremony she did, and you know, and then when I saw her live, she can still still yeah. hit those notes and really really powerful. So yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. That's amazing. It's not gone anywhere. Not has gone it? anywhere. Yeah, so in the year that Goldfinger came out, obviously she became, her prestige level rose hugely. Uh, she, in 61, I don't know if it, did you know about her first marriage to Kenneth Hume? Yes. Yes. Tragic story, this one. Um, so she married Kenneth Hume, who was gay, and uh, the law was obviously still like, incredibly punitive about homosexuality. Uh, and so he was obviously closeted. But apparently, I've heard read bits and bobs that Shirley knew and, and was under a mistaken impression that she could change that. It's all deeply tragic from the offset. So according to IMDb, uh, Kenneth Hume was a British director, producer of Very Variable Output, who started his career as an editor, was married twice to Shirley Bassey and divorced as often, all within a three-year period. Soon mm. after, he committed suicide by overdosing on drugs, which, I mean, that's a very reductive <laughs> biography mm. of a man's life. Um, but I guess I, I had a look into the, the Variable Output uh, they're alluding to. I think it might be his film, I've Got a Horse, uh, or, <laughs> or it could be Mods and Rockers, uh, which was a film which used the music of the Beatles, but it was performed by a fictional band called The Chains. And then the Beatles <laughs> actually sued him because, <laughs> because he was like, oh, it's not Beatles. It's not Beatles songs, but he used their name everywhere across the publicity. The name The Beatles was bigger than... The, the, the chains, the, the chains. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I couldn't find anything substantive about them marrying twice either. I don't know where that came from, um, but it was while she was married to Kenneth that the scandal broke about her Sharon. So th that's mm. when the tabloids found out that she had this daughter. Yeah. Uh, Pix magazine claimed Miss Bassey was a singer of sexy songs and that she had an illegitimate child. 
Uh, these are things which are, of course, both true. Uh, mm. But in 1963, so she sued Pix and she won a huge two, uh, £2,400 in damages, which is a lot of money in 63. Mm. Um, and I, I don't know, I, I smell some coded racism in there. I wonder if that's why she, why she sued them. Because, like, yes, she sings such, such sexy songs, uh, innuendo-laden. Yes, she does have a an illegitimate daughter. What's your point? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's actually, I don't know if, um, you know, when, I think when BBC Four first started, mm. they had this thing of making kind of like dramatizations of, like they did like Monty Python and yes. they did Fanny Craddock and they did um, Hattie Jakes and whatever. And they did a Shirley Bassey one with um, Ruth Negger, yes. who's a, actually Irish actress. Um, and it was, it dealt with that, that I think up to about that, that part right. and included that the breakdown of that relationship and stuff. Um, and yeah, really, really interesting portrayal of it. And I mean, she does, she does a brilliant Bassey impersonation. Great actress. Um, but, you know, it was kind of, I guess it's all that stuff, isn't it? Your, your fame's on the rise and all this stuff is going on and sort of keeping a lid on what's going on in your personal life and whatever must be yeah. very challenging. Yeah, deeply challenging. Yeah. Especially when you're from that background as well, where it is not, yeah. it's not the done thing to talk about it as yeah. well. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. You know, you keep it secret. Yeah. Uh, but speaking to The Guardian in 2009, DSB credits Kenneth with suggesting she should do Big Spender. Uh, you know, you should do Big Spender. And I said, don't be daft. Have you heard how slow they sing it? So he said, uh. jazz it up. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> Kenneth used that humour to good effect memorably in response to DSB admonishing him. How dare you speak to me like that? I'm a star, she said. Kenneth's response, <laughs> twinkle fucking twinkle. Yes, Kenneth. <laughs> Love Kenneth. I know, that's one way to keep her. Yeah. I, I guess if you're in a marriage with somebody who is, by that stage, a big fucking star. Twinkle mm. fucking twinkle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, twinkle what else? <laughs> when Dame Shirley Bassey became pregnant with her second daughter, Samantha, in 1964, Kenneth was understandably baffled. Uh, and then less understandably enraged. So DSB was having an affair with the actor Peter Finch, who was also married. Uh, for trivia fans, Peter Finch received a posthumous Oscar for Network, one of the only people alongside mm. Heath Ledger to do so. And yes, Kenneth sued Finch and another man, John McAuliffe, for being indiscreet with Dame Shirley Bassey. Both mm. parties were cited in the Hume Bassey divorce and DSB was cited in Finch's divorce as well. Mm. So we're up to, we've jumped around a bit, but we're up to 1965 when mm -hmm. the following ran in Jet magazine. There is a big dispute in London over who is the father of tempestuous singer Shirley Bassey's baby. Although one-time boyfriend actor Peter Finch agreed that the child may not belong to Shirley's divorced husband, Kenneth Hume, Finch insists she does not belong to him. <sighs> Some more tabloid nonsense, guys. <laughs> Even back in the 60s. Yeah. And subsequently to that, Kenneth did... It's 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 not it's hard to prove, isn't it? But suicide has been conjectured. He died mm. uh, shortly afterwards. Very sad. Okay, so also in 1965, Shirley had her second encounter with Bond when she recorded Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang for Thunderball. But wait, of course, Tom Jones did Thunderball. That's right, they didn't use it. Uh, the melody line can be heard as incidental music, which I'm sure you noticed it when you were doing your listen, your, your watch back. Oh, I didn't. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I'd, I'd love to try and track down. A, a, I'm sure it's, a, it's available wasn't it, somewhere. Wasn't this the kiss, kiss Bang Bang Lulu? 
Yeah, that's mm. what I thought. But I don't know. Maybe they gave it to Lulu, or get, or, or the song they used the name twice. Because Tom Jones did Thunderball. Thunderball. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe they used it. Yeah. Maybe that must have been it. They, because it would have been a different. Yeah. So they gave him Thunderball to do in Thunderball. So that was a song. So yeah. I don't know. Ooh, They're like, what we do with this one? Let's shelf, Mister. It's such yeah. a good title. We'll hang on to it. <laughs> So, uh, 1968 is when DSB becomes a tax exile and when she married again. She had met Sergio Novak while on holiday with Kenneth Hume in Italy. And DSB remembers, we were on holiday to try and save our marriage that had, in reality, irredeemably broken down. We were Mm. just not aware of it. At the Hotel Excelsior on the Lido, I met Sergio, deputy manager of the hotel, but it was a superficial meeting. I saw him again in 1967 in Milan. He courted me tenaciously, ruthlessly, and it took a year before I was convinced that I had found the right man. We married in Las Vegas. Close to him, I felt so small, but so protected. I remember every moment of that day like it was yesterday. The most normal things that, for me, had the greatest significance. Lovely. Mm. Nice way to put it. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking that we should leave episode one there for today leave leave shirley happy, with happy wedding day i must say this the the, the 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 tempestuously caught shirley bassey for a year i mean god what what, what levels of courting do you get to on that I you know, know. Where, where do you start like a lot of pink champagne i imagine yeah. <laughs> raw determination yeah, a tidal wave you're a brave man sergio yeah persistent <laughs> exactly oh thank you so much my darlings this is a section um, we call plugs and hugs uh mm. what can we plug for you darling so um at the moment so my my athena 80s night is normally at the eagle in Vauxhall. the venue is reopening this saturday so that's great and there's lots of stuff going on there but they're going to reopen as a sort of lounge bar for a while so athena is a club night it's probably not going to return until social distancing doesn't need to happen so much so i'm carrying on doing a weekly radio show podcast for athena which you can find on mixcloud and on all social medias and then uh pop horror is the other thing i do but we're not really doing much with that at the moment probably until halloween time and then towards the end of the year we will be doing the rvt panto which this year is called it's based on sleeping beauty and it's called pricked following on from mother goose which was goosed aladdin which was rubbed and (laughs) and cinderella which was slipped so yeah so we're just finishing um we're writing that at the moment and that's that's definitely going to happen the venue have worked out that even with social distancing measures in place they can get enough of an audience in to make the, the show happen so yeah, that'll be that'll be coming later in the year. But for now, yeah, Athe- Athena Radio Show is my weekly thing. Fabulous. Oh, I can't wait. See us there. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this episode of Big Diva Energy. If you did and you want to reach out and have a chat, share your BDE stories with us, maybe even your own DSB-related stories, or just tell us which diva means the most to you, you can tweet us at Diva Energy, find us on Instagram at Big Diva Energy, or Facebook at Big Diva Energy Pod, or email us at BigDivaEnergyPod at gmail.com. This podcast is a Dark Mutters production. If you kiss us, honey, honey, kiss us, then don't forget to like and subscribe. If you don't want us in your life, get, get in, in the, the sea. sea. <laughs> Did you forget how my life worked? Yeah. <laughs> I thought you might have done. I hadn't read to that bit. <laughs> <laughs> we used to do It's My Life as a number in our first show. 
Do you remember? Your life! There you go. Yeah, I'll just cut that in. <laughs> Thank you so much, Paul. It's been such a treat chatting to you. Oh, I've really enjoyed it. It's been really nice. You're Thank you. are such a darling. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye, Bye lovely. Bye. 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 Bye.